And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Be the best and you gotta pay a little price. If you want it bad enough, you gotta do a little extra things to get it. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me, as always, my fabulous co host, Rich Hammond Rich. How we doing? Jordan, it's been a while. I know. How are you? Hi. Nice to see you. How is yes. uh how is old Canada? How is our old uh friendly neighbors to the north? Yes, like I got on an airplane uh, for the first time in in over 2 years. They still work. It still took off and still landed. I was very impressed that uh, nothing has changed in that front in the last uh, 2 years. Yeah, I got to see some of my colleagues on the uh, NHL side up there at the uh, NHL draft in in Montreal, so that was a very nice experience and uh, really enjoyed getting the the Twitter messages from people saying, when is there going to be a new podcast? I uh, really, <laughs> I mean that genuinely. I really do appreciate that. It's nice to know that the people care. And uh, Jordan, you got a little time away too, right? Yeah, a little bit. I am stoked. I was just up in the woods up north, um, went from Northern California, did a lot of Redwoods hiking with Tucker, my dog. Um, he has never uh, seen, or should I say sniffed, the redwoods and i just had this i was tickled to death thinking like a dog's brain must totally break smelling those things <laughs> because they're just i mean this was old growth forest so thousands of years old right and so yeah we just kind of got lost in the woods went up to oregon hung out a, at a bunch of breweries and uh, went fly fishing i did not catch anything but then i ate fish the next day to exact my revenge so <laughs> Yeah, it was cool. Shout out to the Deschutes River Guides. Helped me fly fish for the first time. It was really exciting and really fun. Very cathartic. I was surprised that I was sore the next day. I think that says a lot about me and the physical shape I'm currently in. So <laughs> probably got to get that together. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I don't feel bad about that. I went walking in Montreal and I felt like I'd been hit by a car the next day. I'm like, oh my goodness. How, how little exercise have I been getting that I, I can't even do a, a two mile walk without feeling it. So that's awesome and uh, very well deserved on, on your behalf. You've still been cranking out the content. People who subscribe to The Athletic are probably like, what vacation? Jordan's uh, still been putting out the illusion, content. Uh, the illusion of yes, a vacation. Yeah, yes. <laughs> but here we are, Jordan. I mean, we're, we're recording this on on Tuesday morning just a couple weeks now before the start of training camp it's uh, it never fails to amaze me how quickly these things go and and it's the uh the genius like uh, the some might say the evil genius of the NFL to where they never really leave the news cycle you go right from the super bowl to the combine to free agency to the draft to OTAs and then you take a couple weeks and here we are again right back at the uh, at the start of training camp so 
you know, Jordan, since uh, since we last uh, talked to people and had that awesome interview with Kevin Demoff, if for any reason uh, people missed that, they should definitely check that out. Uh, really, really a lot of fun. Really appreciate Kevin taking the time to to do that and answer those questions. But uh, there hasn't been a ton of news, Jordan, but but there's been a little bit and, and there are still some unanswered questions also heading into training camp. People found out uh, through you, uh, Jalen Ramsey had some surgery. Uh, there's still some unanswered questions about a couple contracts, including those of Sean McVay and Les Snead. So you want to kind of set the table for us, Jordan, as, as we get into these uh, last couple of weeks before training camp, uh, what, what people should know and kind of what the, what the big storylines here are going in? Yeah, what people should know is I was talking to a couple of Ram sources before the end of the spring OTAs period, and something they mentioned was that a lot of the things that they were doing with their players was largely precautionary health-wise. One thing that I think is going to be really interesting to study is how they manage the workload of what they have learned the new NFL season to be, the 17-game season, and then also what they expect their own workload for a season to be, considering they believe that they are in and everyone in the building hates the word window, but it's the best way to describe what structurally it appears from the outside they're in. So that window, they also understand that their season, they expect their seasons to be longer as well. So you're seeing a lot of guys work out on the side, but but people were telling me that's mostly precautionary. And other than a couple of standouts, including Kyron Williams, who hurt his foot in mid-spring, should be back mid-camp-ish. Other than Kyron Williams and then Jalen Ramsey obviously had the had the late surgery, which these particular people, this they talked to me before this happened, but they mentioned that they felt really, really healthy going into camp. And part of it was because of how they were going to manage their injury workload. So things like Matthew Stafford not throwing in the spring, that really, to me, felt like more of um, almost an annoyance to him more so than a concern. And I say that in a good way because... He just wants to be out there throwing and um, he loves to be out there and he was out there for every snap, just ghost repping. But to me, it felt like that wasn't the the anti-inflammatory shot, the elbow rest, all of those types of things that again, more precautionary through the, for the expected length of the season. And then, you know, Van Jefferson, Tyler Higby, Brian Allen, um, Jordan Fuller, guys that were either working through something or resting out of extra precaution, you know, no concerns about them. So this person was one of the people I talked to was basically like, this is before Kyron got hurt as well, by the way. So it's like, hey, if we started camp tomorrow, nobody would be on PUP. And I was like, wow, that's kind of a pretty big statement. And obviously you take that with a grain of salt. But at the same time, that demonstrated to me what exactly the level of precaution is that they're taking between what is actually a real injury and what is an onboarding of a workload as they continue their exploration through some of that sports science stuff they do with Reggie Scott. So that's going to be something interesting for me to watch. As it pertains to Jalen, that was, I think, a surprise to even him based on my conversations with a couple of sources because they thought originally, so he played through a lot of the year with um, two AC joint injuries in his shoulders. So he's navigating that. And and I think you hear about that more and more, especially on in playoff runs, guys who just have to play through things. I think a large portion of the team was also doing the same thing. But with, with Jalen, it was very notable because obviously 
that affects how he moves, how he can shift. It, it, it affects his wingspan. It affects his tackle, you know, all of those things. And you really didn't see a drop-off uh, despite one anonymous AFC executive who definitely I'm concerned is in charge of football decisions, if that's what he's going to say. <laughs> um, but so you, you didn't really see like a huge drop-off. Like you probably thought, yeah, he's playing through something, but you didn't really see a huge drop off in, in production or ability or anything like that. And so um, I, th- my sense of the situation with Jalen is that he, he really thought, and they, his entire camp, they thought that you, they could go the non-surgery route with this. And, and I'll tell you this too, he practiced in the spring, he practiced in OTAs. They weren't going full football or anything like that, but a lot more just footwork and install stuff. But I saw him in the weight room too. Like he would be in the weight room even on days where he wasn't quote unquote at practice for the voluntary periods, but he'd be throwing weights around. So you really got the sense that the, that he was going the non-surgery route and then decided, okay, if I'm going to really fully repair this, it has to be now. It has to be, you know, th- this time in June that I think was a bit of a surprise for how late it was for people. Now, he is expected to be fully healthy by the start of the season. This was described to me as more of a precautionary, you want to go full heel just in case, understanding again the length of the season ahead, understanding you want to maybe a more complete, fuller fix. And as my knowledge is currently, this is the only surgery that he had to have the other side. They did elect to go the non-surgical route, but it kind of just shows just maybe a slight variance in the degree of the injury and the severity of the injury between shoulder to shoulder. But again, like one of those things where I did not gauge any level of concern from the team, from people on either side of this conversation, I have not gauged really any concern from them about his availability. Yeah, I mean, to, to hear that they would start camp without anybody on pop, I mean, that I don't care who you are. <laughs> uh, that that's a, that's a pretty amazing thing. And they um, might, just so you know, so people know, I don't want to, like, that quote t- taken out of context. They still they still might, you don't sure. know. Like, obviously, they had the Cam Akers situation happen. That was sure. brutal. Um, sure. And now, the Kyron Williams thing, we talked before this Kyron Williams thing happened. But the, uh, I think right. overall, the sentiment was this group is pretty healthy heading into training camp. Right. Good point, Jordan. And and you never know. I mean, these guys are also working out all the time. I mean, there's nothing to say that somebody can't, you know, be doing sprints tomorrow and and hurt their hamstring. Um, So there's never any guarantees with that sort of thing. But in general, it sounds like they're in pretty good uh, shape uh, considering, uh, which is pretty remarkable considering the long run that they were on. And, uh, you know, this is a very physical uh, run too. And there were some kind of knickknack injuries there. So it seems like they're in pretty good shape. Um, What, you know, what I'm curious about Jordan is, is Cam Akers coming back. Back. And and uh, this is something you, you, you see it all the time in other sports too. Not necessarily Achilles, but uh, I, I think of it in terms of knee injuries, ACL, and that sort of thing. There's that little burst when they come back, and I really think where I'm going with this is I think Cam Akers this probably works out to his benefit, right? Like we didn't know when he came back in the playoffs, like what could he do? How effective would he be? But, you know, he got that time, Jordan. And I think that's so I think that's going to benefit him so much. He was able to come back during the playoffs. Was he totally dynamic? No. Was he the cam makers that you would want to see in this offense? No, probably not. But boy, he got that feel again. He got into those games. He was able to start trusting that leg again and and see that, you know, if he could do the same things that he could do before the injury. If I'm the Rams and if I'm cam makers, I'm really happy 
happy with the way that that played out because he was able to get into some of those games, get into some reps there. Not a huge role, not expected to do a lot, but he got that feel. And then he was able to back off for a little bit and say, all right, let's, you know, let's let's let this let this recover even more. I don't know. Do you, have you heard anything more about that? Achilles to me are, are, are really strange. I mean, I, I don't have a lot of experience covering guys uh, coming back from Achilles, but I know from the ACL that uh, that can be the case. Sometimes you have that little burst and then you want to back off a little bit and see how it goes. And now he's been able to do that. So I don't know, Jordan, that, that makes me pretty optimistic about, about Cam Akers heading into camp. Yeah. So it's, it's a great question through the reporting of a big feature that I had out this uh, earlier this summer on Thomas Brown, which I know we're going to talk about here in a minute, Rich, I did talk to Cam Akers and we talked mostly about Thomas Brown, but obviously as a reporter, you check in on the health, you check in on, you know, how he's doing, any surprises, any new things. Oh my gosh. First of all, I always love talking to Cam because he just is so competitive and he is so driven and focused and you really can tell why so many in that offense and that coaching staff have totally bought into him because you just feel it. He's very centered, but very, very much like just this sort of like um, literal star just radiating with energy and ready to just show what he can do. And he was so, so mad at himself for this, the way that the Super Bowl and the playoffs went, which I kind of wanted to just like stop him for a second and say, hey, man, like you you can cut yourself a break on this one. Like you are coming back from something unprecedented. And what I also think people don't really know is during that time, you're still he's still on a pitch count like they have trackers on him and they're trying to understand the exact energy output that is safe and, and OK for him to have. And he cannot go over those snaps. And so you can't really get into a rhythm there. And so I think that had some of what some of what was to do with that. Also coming back from as if he needed an excuse, he doesn't, but coming back from a, a torn Achilles in the same year, insanity. But also there the entire year managing Daryl Henderson too. So you're not just yeah. dealing with what your own truncated rhythm now looks like you can't get in that flow state as a back and that's also not to discredit what the Bengals were doing to sort of swallow up the the Rams run and and all of that and and the 49ers before that it's not to discount that at all but specifically from the Rams perspective and they're also monitoring sort of a uh, output levels for Daryl Henderson because he had dealt with so many injuries throughout the course of the year and so you can't it's so difficult you're doing that in real time you're literally running running data on these guys in real time. And, and, you know, it doesn't, we're still learning about what that all looks like. And there's still a lot of secrets behind the scenes on how they actually do those things with, um, under Reggie Scott. But I think that's something that people, and especially when, you know, I get the questions from our beloved fantasy football experts about it. It's, that's something I don't think people know is like how closely managed that had to be. So, that's one thing. I'm like, I almost wanted to grab him and be like, dude, it's okay. Like, give yourself a break. But he will not. He is, he was furious. And he is so fired up and so ready to attack this season. And he has, honestly, he has to. I mean, if you look at it over the lifespan of his rookie contract um, and then the the context of the Rams and their financial structure and the decisions that they have made in the past that they no longer will make as it pertains to the running back position. This is an important year, super, super important year. And I think, too, that is 
motivating for him because he knows that it's essentially now or never for him to really show what he can be capable of. You know, he was mostly spelled in the spring and and that wasn't because he wasn't healthy. It was again, like what you said, it was he had the burst and now they pull back and they want to build, build, build. And the entire thing from the day they walk in the building in the spring for their phase one of OTAs until any cleanup surgeries and anything before their first break of the spring postseason, this is all studied, tracked, monitored, every single output these guys do. And especially as it pertains to Cam, when I wrote that story about him, it was like, how long is he standing? What's his energy output? He's standing in line at the grocery store. What's his energy output? You know right. what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. it's everything. And that's what I think people really need to understand is the complexity of managing a plan like that while also trying to be an impact player. Now they can pull back a little bit, understanding that he's healthy and maybe he can play or feel a little free or maybe he can get into that flow state a little bit quicker. And I think that's what he's really sort of aching and, and champing to do because he really wants to be that guy. He wants to be a star for them. And he has the he has all the tools to do it. I just think, first of all, we don't know what this run game will look like. I am more worried about Daryl Henderson than I am about Cam Akers, which I know yeah. is like a big statement. I don't do hot takes, and I don't think that is one. Um, Daryl did not practice through the entire spring, and he had a new injury. Um, we, we covered this on a previous podcast. So a soft tissue injury that he's dealt with in the past, he sort of re-aggravated it, but in a sense where it was the old injury was – he's healed from the old injury, but then he injures it again – And so I think that that's concerning. And then, you know, Kyron Williams being hurt, that's also concerning. So I'm concerned about this this running backs room. I think, though, I can also see the potential in Cam Akers. But it is, you know, it is something to that bears monitoring. And I am, I think, less worried about Cam moving forward than I am about Daryl. And that start, stop, start, stop. When you're, again, managing output levels so closely, it is so difficult to build a plan around – a player who you don't know if he's going to be available day to day, let alone week over week. Yeah, well, well said, Jordan. I, I don't think that's a hot take at all. I think it's totally reasonable for for Daryl, and it's very unfortunate. And it's not the first time we've had this conversation um, about that situation. Because yeah, you, you look at it and you say, well, you know, a devastating injury. You ne- you never want that to happen. You never want a huge injury to happen. But those heal, and then you move on. You know, a torn Achilles don't want it to happen, takes months to recover from, but then it heals up and you move on. But these soft tissue injuries, like you said, Jordan, with Daryl Henderson and these recurring injuries, those are the kind of things that it's just, you know, we talk about in other sports, like when somebody develops a bad back and it's just like, oh, that's the worst thing you can hear because there's nothing you can do. There's no specific surgery that you can go in there to, to heal it, to make it better all at once. It becomes kind of a chronic thing that flares up. And obviously, Daryl's not dealing with that. But I, I think about it in the same kind of vein. It's, just, it's, it's almost something that you have to constantly manage rather than uh, something that, that gets cured. And, and that's not great. Uh, that's not the situation that you want to end up in. So uh, certainly hope all the best for, for Daryl. Uh, 
you know, hope he's able to turn that corner uh, to where they are able to manage it and, and he is able to stay on the field extraordinary stuff that the Rams do. And, and I know other NFL teams, NHL, that's where my mind is these days, but other <laughs> NFL teams uh, have the same kind of setup. But all that stuff you just talked about, Jordan, all the tracking that they're able to do, all the recovery, I, I can't even imagine how much it's progressed over the last, even just the last five years or so. Extraordinary stuff that they can do to keep these guys on the field or, or get them back on the field as, as soon as possible. So, Well, it's a cost thing, too. Too, they're investing in it. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, it's that it's like something where you have to pay for that technology, that equipment. And I think sometimes the Rams and we've on this podcast made jokes about it as well. Like sometimes the Rams get, you know, laughed at a little bit for the facilities that they're in, which are temporary and sort of clustered together in a series of trailers up in Thousand Oaks, which I again I am in the minority where I really love that, but um, I also understand how important having permanent facilities will be when they finally do move down into Woodland Hills. But all that to say, what people don't know is the finance of the, I don't even know, but I know it's massive, the investment that they've made and some of the technology that they work with in those buildings and some of the things that they work with, the data um, that they work with quietly. One of their bigger losses was losing Tyler Williams, who Kevin O'Connell hired away in Minnesota um, this spring. He was their lead sports scientist under Reggie Scott. And um, that was huge. That That is a huge loss. And also, they had really protected every all of their secrets inside the building mm. before that. Well, you're going to start seeing certain practices in, in other places now because just like as in with Sean McVay's offense pollinating out across the league and Brandon Staley and Vic Fangio's defense pollinating out across the league, you're also going to maybe start to see some of the sports science practices pollinating out very, very slowly. Because again, these guys are so secretive pollinating out across the league and in very, very small portions, of course. But at the same time, just like we've seen the Rams and Sean McVay do with his offense and Raheem Morris do with the defense, they're going to have to evolve. They're going to have to push harder and and further explore some of these territories that they're now in. And I think they have the group to do it. It's just fascinating, though, because it really is something that's so often not discussed. And part of that, honestly, is, and and I can understand this from the team perspective, part of that is access. Right. They don't, they're, they're perfectly fine. Like Reggie Scott, you talk to Reggie, who is the best, just one of the greatest people I've ever met in this business. And you talk to him and he is fine not having his name out there. He is totally <laughs> fine not, not being in articles, not being on podcasts because because they all know they're yeah. trying to protect these things. So we can only find out in little drips and drabs. And probably the information we find out is is old already. Right. Um, in case I get tweets, they're like, don't don't pull pull out our secrets. Like we we need to keep our edge. Like the information that is coming out is probably old by now, guys. So it's you know, it doesn't make right. me feel better as a reporter, but it it should make you feel better as a fan. Right. Um, but it is interesting. It's so fascinating. I'm so interested in how all of that works. And again, it's it's a backbone of their ecosystem. And then now they had had been so tight on not having anybody hired away. They've people have tried, and now they finally do have someone who has been hired away. And now it'll be interesting to see not only how that changes some of that landscape, but also how they start to evolve forward even further and make those investments um, financially and also um, scientifically. And some of the things that they explore, um, it also, I think, will help 
overall when they write papers on it and make things certain things public knowledge um, when they write scientific papers or what what they might do um, eventually could help people in other areas as well which I think is is fascinating some of the cutting edge things that they're looking at and working on um, they could find things that could help people um, on a broader scale as well yeah for sure and yeah Jordan I mean you talk about that investment and I know I know you know this I don't need to, to tell you that but I mean in a you know in a salary capped league, there's only Ca- so that's many. That's a ad- cash investment, man. You're, I know where you're getting at. This right. is, this is one mean, of those edges you can find. Yeah, exactly. You, you have to look in other areas. I mean, everybody gets to spend, you know, basically the same amount of cash. Some uh, some do, some don't uh, in that in terms of that cap space. So you, you start to look around and say, well, OK, we can't we can't get a big advantage in that area. This isn't MLB where you can just, you know, pay the luxury tax and spend, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Can't do that. So what can we do? Where can we find those little advantages? And and this is a way. Uh, and and I give credit to the Rams and and certainly other teams who, who might be doing the same thing. It's so funny, Jordan. I often think the very same thing that you said about like we, we're kind of finding out things. They they've already moved on. They're on to the next innovation that, that we'll find out uh, a year from now. I'm but so that's tired. Really- <laughs> <laughs> they're the fastest team in the world. Jordan, they're, they're free- leaving you they're behind. Freaks. They're freaks. They're the fastest team in the world. Yes, if anyone but, understands that reference, please tweet at me. <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> but it, it's um, but that's what it is. And it, it's constantly and even down to some of the, you know, the, the cap stuff that they do that that drives people crazy trying to figure it out. Those are the little advantages because uh, uh, the NFL is trying to create parity. That's that's the, the that's the the game that the Rams and the other teams are trying to beat. The, the NFL is trying to put them in a position where all 32 teams are on the same level playing field and the teams don't want that. The teams don't want to be on the same level playing field. So they're looking around going, all right, well, we can't we can't do it with cap space. Where can we do it? Let's invest here. Let's invest in in the medical staff. Let's invest in our, our statistics, uh, w- whatever it may be. So uh, those are always you're always looking down the line, trying to trying to find those little edges. And like you said, Jordan, protect them most mm-hmm. importantly so that people don't know what you're doing so that they find out three years later the same way that we do. And then uh, you already have your system in play. Really, really fascinating stuff. If anybody's interested, and I know, know we have a lot of listeners, readers who are very interested in uh, kind of how teams are run and, and why decisions like that are made. So and nobody does a better job than you, Jordan, of, of bringing that to people. Even if you think you are a year or two behind, you are still uh, about five years ahead of most people in terms of uh, bringing that stuff to uh, to people. So this yeah. begs me to another question that I think about often. I wonder if they let Tyler Williams take his computer with him. When oh, he I, I doubt it. <laughs> I, they probably search him on the way out like They're a like, TSA if, agent. Yeah, you have yeah. 10 minutes to commit all of this to memory and that's all you get and then you're <laughs> gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's tough. I've, I've wondered about that too. You know, like how does that work? But boy, there's just so much out there. I mean, people move all the time, and people know people who work at this place. Like, I, you know, I there's no greater paranoia than NFL paranoia. I've I've come to understand that over the years. But yeah, there's only so much you can do, right? I mean, it's it's going to happen. People are going to talk. But it's part of the reason why it was really interesting hearing about when Brandon Staley was on staff, um, some of the things that he was doing that were different than a lot of what people were used to. Like he was sitting in the analytics meetings. He would, you know, call up some of the scouts and talk to them about their processes. Like he was really trying to understand like a really holistic 
version of what the team does. It reminds me of what Thomas Brown does as well, although I'm not sure if he has the uh, the time, like they haven't been in full meetings with him in his new role yet. So I'm interested to see like kind of how he continues to pursue some of those avenues. But um, it was interesting. You really got the sense that Brandon Staley wasn't just trying to coach part of the team. He was also trying to learn the ecosystem. And I think that's really important when you know probably you're on that path, which I think anybody who comes into the Rams building has to understand they're probably going to be on a head coaching path or their name will be out there at some point. Pretty much um, pretty strong track record of that so far. So I think having that basis in the reality of the situation and then doing everything you can to learn the full ecosystem. Um, it did surprise me. Brandon Staley talking to people about offensive analytics and being in those meetings, you know, talking with the nerds nest and all of that. I'd not heard a defensive coach doing that before in anywhere that I'd been or buildings that I'd talked to people um, in various places across the league. And I thought that was when you see it now, the way that he sort of is running his operational stuff moving forward as a head coach and sort of starting to find his footing underneath himself, you're sort of seeing them put together this ecosystem, not just him coming in and, co- and coaching like he sort of did the first year installing scheme, those types of things and and going on this run, but also like now you can see through the things they've done in the off season, some of the efforts they've made medically in the sport, their own sports science practices, their own analytical studies, um, some of the hires they've made, and certainly the way that they maneuvered free agency, you're starting to see a lot of those influences and also like that ecosystem get put together. And I think that's fascinating. So we're not going to be able to see as much publicly about Minnesota on the sports science side because we just that just takes time. It takes, you know, probably four years for that programming to really start to take effect. And um that's why these are these have to be such long-term hires. But at the same time, ultimately long term, it'll be really interesting to start to see what the ripple effect is from that. And and it's interesting when you have coaches who do come in and you you don't get the sense that maybe they'll be there for a long time because they seem like they have it, quote unquote. And then you watch what they do and you start to hear about what they do to fully immerse in different places where they know once they leave the building, they will no longer have access to that information. And I always thought that was kind of a weird thing. It would probably be a weird thing to balance if you're the powers above or the powers that be, because you obviously want everyone to be on the same page and have all the information so that you can have the best holistic team, right? And and everybody can teach and everybody can grow and learn. But at the same time, when you know people, like they've rotated through so many people in the past yeah. couple of years, and when you know they're not going to be there for a long time, how do you then manage all of that, understanding that, you know, you are an open book organization and in, in, in many ways, in some ways, as well, as we noted in the Thomas Brown's story, there were there were things to improve on. But I always found that dynamic fascinating. And when Sean McVay has to turn over his coaches, is how much how much do you give of yourself to this versus what do you hold back? Um, understanding that the people that you are building with some at some point will likely become your competitors. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Jordan, I think we, you mentioned your Thomas Brown feature. No, I want to talk about that. We are we're, we're, we are going to pivot back to an Odell Beckham uh, question at the end. And Jordan, I know <laughs> I know you'd be upset if that didn't happen. But I know. It, it seems like a, a natural uh, pivot point to, to talk about Thomas Brown. Just an extraordinary um, feature on on Thomas Brown. If if you haven't already read it, if you're an athletic subscriber, uh, you should you should go find it. Uh, I can't believe you didn't you didn't read it, but it, it ran on. Uh, we published it on July. July 5th. Um, and if you're not a subscriber, please go sign up right now and, and, and read that. It's worth it. Um, the price of subscription uh, just for that story. But, you know, Jordan, he's a guy we've been talking about, right? This doesn't come out of nowhere. We've, we've heard about him. We've heard others sing his praises. Your story has a, a litany of, of players uh, in there talking about what made him, uh, what makes him uh, special. Um, but maybe if, if I could drill down to, to one part of it, he's making an interesting change here uh, uh, going from, from running backs coach to, to tight ends coach. And, uh, part of that certainly is about this Rams staff and and utilizing his skills in the right way. But I think it's fair to say that a lot of this is about mapping out Thomas Brown's future and and where he wants to be and how he can get there. And uh, Jordan, you had an interesting uh, part in here in particular about uh, the stat. And, and, and please, uh, I, I'm not looking at this directly, so please jump in and, and tell me if I have this wrong, because it's a very important uh, uh, stat. But I, I believe what it was, was that uh, over the past, uh, since 2013, only 8% of, of coaches who are called quarterbacks or offensive coordinators or have something um, in there in that title along that way have been filled by minority coaches, uh, 8% since 2013. And Jordan, the, the point of this 
at all is not to get political. This is not a political statement. We are going through the reality of this situation. And for a guy like Thomas Brown, has been an extraordinarily successful running backs coach. Everybody who works with him uh, appreciates, you know, what what he's been doing. Um, but that path is not one that necessarily leads to being a head coach. Uh, if you want to be on that path, you have to change your lane. And for a long time here, that lane has been blocked but, uh, for certain people. And I, I'm just curious, Jordan, I, this is very general. You, you can take it in, in any direction that you want. But, you know, how, how mindful has Thomas been of that? Um, and, and how much of this change is, is motivated by that? And, and knowing that to get where he wants to be, he's probably going to have to change lanes a little bit. Well, and... To your point, too, and you are correct about those statistics that um, we found through a study that we conducted at The Athletic um, a year two years ago. And the other thing that goes hand in hand directly with that is that the the league is now – I think every person in every building would agree with you from the way that games are called to the way that um, staffs are built to the way that positions are paid um, – everything in the NFL tilts toward the offense at this point in the league's history. And um, even to the way games are planned, to the way everything, right? Everything is tilted toward the offense. And that true, that too is true of hiring. And even further, everything is tilted toward the pass game at the current, the current iteration of the league. And part of that actually is interesting because you go back and some of that is was rebirthed or resurfaced by the Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan offense in the beginning, right? And the LaFleur pollination and um, all of the pollinations that have come off of it, those high-profile, high-powered passing attacks, right? And the very quarterback-friendly system. So executives and owners specifically um, are looking more than ever before at those positions do you coach the quarterback? Do you have your hands on the passing game? Do you have your hands on the productive offense? So where I think this became very interesting is the intersection of Sean McVay's effect on the league as well as the as well as his scrutiny that he's under for hiring every year in terms of people are looking at his staff every single year more so than any other team in the league to to pull from um and that is also a statistic fact. Um and also what people are in which positions um, who are getting opportunities to coach quarterbacks and who are getting opportunities to have their hands on the passing game, whether it's tight ends coach as Thomas Brown is now, whether it's, um, you know, if it would be receivers coach, if it would be pass game coordinator, um, if it would be offensive coordinator, or even um, his former assistant uh, who was an assistant coaching quarterbacks um, who is now a head coach who he just beat in the Super Bowl. So I think that all of that to say, um, Thomas Brown is has been very aware of this. Um, he mentioned to me something that I didn't know, which was that in every building he'd been in, in football, this is college, um, this is, hell, back down to high school, this is, he had like nine different jobs coaching college colleges or doing grad assistant work or um, being a running backs coach or even an offensive coordinator when he's in Miami. Um, a lot of times in the planning itself, 
um, those meetings, the run game planning meetings are separate from the pass game planning meetings. Mm. For whatever reason, um, structurally, it, it's kind of like one of those football things that we see far too often. It's like, oh, it's just how it is, right? Which right. what I think the Rams have been really good at for the last couple of years in finding these edges we talked about earlier in the podcast is finding the it's just how it is and trying to figure out how to make that process better and trying to figure out how to maybe turn that how it is on its head and make it what it could be versus how it is. And I think um, this is this story was an example of, um, you know, Thomas with his personality of just being extremely open and Sean McVay praising how truthful he is and how um, blunt he can be and how they can ha- they can be honest with each other. Um, and, and Sean McVay has praised that so often in the past. Um, an example of like finally maybe more fully understanding an issue because, um, you know, y- you have a real life example of it happening where Thomas is now getting moved into a position um, where he will have a direct hand on coordinating and planning the passing game. He will be in sort of the quote unquote brain trust meetings. Um, he has a great quote in there where, you know, when these executives and these GMs and these owners are hiring, um, they want somebody who has quote unquote called plays, which he has. Um, and they want somebody who has their hands all over the passing game. But what do you do when the structure of the team's meetings are such that you literally are not in the passing game meetings by the nature of the way that your job is designed if you're a running backs coach or you're coordinating the run game versus the pass game. And so for, for this, this, what I really hope shined through this story, um, other than of course, an increased need for people to have equal opportunities to be great and to affect people's lives and to teach and mold young people and to impact the world and maybe coach football as well. Um, other than that, the thing that I really hope shine through was this was a perfect example or a like granular example of a problem that has so many different solutions that are needed and people coming together even as they learn as they go. And I think this has been a learning experience for Sean McVay. Um, people coming together to solve a problem that they now understand existed and or that uh, solve a problem that like someone spoke truth to. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, it was Sean, Thomas Brown will be the first to say this. It was Sean's idea that Thomas got moved into coaching tight ends because Sean remembers that he, that was where he sort of started to hit that super speed with his, his own coaching trajectory after he coached tight ends. And so he sees that and he also, he and Thomas had, you know, have talked about this. They've talked about, you know, what it means for Thomas to be able to get his hands on the passing game. And, and ultimately what it will mean is being in the room, but further than that, um, there will not be that stoppage of information flow. Thomas Brown hired his replacement, uh, Rashad Samples at running backs coach. And he pushed to add KJ Black in the quarterback's room as a part of the Bill Walsh Minority Coaching Fellowship. And so that information flow now, he is adamant about this point, will not stop between section to section of the passing game and the running game instead. And it's interesting because you would think, again, this is an example of just because football teams, there's, you know, 32 of them and they're 
elite and at the sport and the coaches are professed to be elite in their coaching profession and all this stuff mm-hmm. doesn't mean that there aren't always things to fix and be more cohesive. Because you would think, wouldn't you, that having for people who always say they want to marry the run in the pass, right. having that collaborative shared information flow would be the best thing for a cohesive offense, right? You would think that. You would think that. But it just structurally, that's just not how teams have been set up historically. And so it's it's interesting um, to me because I think that this pays so many dividends past what anybody maybe knows now, not only for Thomas getting this opportunity and then also seizing it and like making this jump that takes a lot of courage, I think, because again, he's been a running backs coach his entire career and an offensive coordinator. But at the same time, this position specific jump um, where he will have direct autonomy into that room and direct autonomy in coordinating the passing game. An example of, you know, you hear about the league initiatives and we don't know still how those will ultimately shape the league moving forward. We just don't know yet. Some of them are very new. But at the same time, this is an example of people, a head coach and um, his very, very trusted assistant who is on a head coaching track, whose career is accelerating at the right time schematically as well. Because again, he's got his hands on the pulse of the exact two systems, offense and defense, that everybody else in the league wants right now. But this is, to me, I hope that it showed this is an example of people solving a problem together. And like, to me, that's what really this game, this league is about, should be about. It's about problem solving in real time and that shared trust and communication of being fully open to that process and to communicate through those things, regardless of subject, whether schematically or socially, um, and to me, that is where Thomas has showed to have many, many gifts. But I also hope that that sh- shined through in terms of this is what happened. This is really important because now we know how many people pull from this staff. We know that ultimately right. two, three years, four years from now, maybe even one year from now, the ripple effect this has on other teams is also important because of yeah. how often this team is pulled from. Yeah, no, they they can they can set a trend here, Jordan. I mean, just just very well said there. Uh, it, you know, r- recognizing some of those things and taking steps to change them. Uh, you know, it, it's it's not something that you can throw down and say, oh, here's a new policy that we're putting. It it has to happen organically, and it has to happen at these kind of ground uh, roots level that that we're talking about here, and and work its way up and start bearing fruit that way uh, to where yeah, the, the you know one team starts doing it, then two teams, and three teams, and five teams, and then. You you know, suddenly the whole league is 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 doing it. So I, you know, I give credit to those guys uh, for for working together, like you said, to uh, to find a, a solution. And you know, a lot of people, it, it almost becomes the joke, right? Like, oh, the Rams uh, poaching assistant coaches, nobody ever stays. You know, oh, this thing, but. Uh, Honestly, Jordan, I, the the way that I look at it, and maybe if you're inside the Rams, you this this still gives you some angst, and you don't like to see it happen. But like to me, from the outside looking in, you want that. You want that health to be able to say you want to be a place that that's attractive to go to. If if you're a young coach who's who's on the rise, you want to look at the Rams and say that's a place where I want to go because not only is it a winning organization, uh, but if I go there, I'm going to get opportunities. I'm going to get better. I'm going to be able to to grow into different roles. Um, so you might not like the turnover. Like it's not great when you're, you're when you're losing coaches every year. But but really, what that sh- you know. 
uh, put it this way, Jordan, nobody, nobody poaches coaches from bad organizations. Like if, if you have an unhealthy setup and, and a situation where you're not fostering that stuff, you're not losing coaches. So while that might seem okay, like, great, we get to keep the same assistant coaches every year. We have stability. We have, you know, year to year. What, uh, okay. That might seem attractive on a, on a very surface level, but, but what you're seeing here, if you, if you're losing assistant coaches on a regular basis, what that really means is a compliment, uh, to, to your organization. It means you're doing things the right way. It means that you're producing people who mm-hmm. are successful. And so it, it, if you're playing the long game on this, yes, it's not great to, to have, you know, constant turnover with your coordinators and position coaches and things like that. But, but it really means that, that you are building a, a healthy organization. I give Thomas Brown a lot of credit. I mean, the, the stuff that he's doing right now, it would be scary to me. It would be scary to to make that uh, jump and uh, you know to know that this is such a pivotal moment in in your uh, development as a coach. Uh, but it's it's when you look at the landscape of things, Jordan, like you said, it's not maybe it's not totally fair. Maybe it's not totally fair to say yes, you need that passing experience in on your resume. Well. Do you? I mean, you know, like, I don't I don't know, like you probably don't for some people, but but that's the landscape right now. Like you said, that's that's the the box that that he needs to check off in order to to satisfy some people. Um, And he's taking that step now to do it. So I'm fascinated to see how that works, especially like you said, Jordan, Sean McVay being a tight ends coach. That was his big leaping off point to, to, you know, then he took on offensive coordinator role for one year and then he got hired by the Rams as a head coach. So uh, you can certainly see the path there and you can certainly see why Sean would make that argument to, to Thomas and say, well, this is, you know, this is a path that's going to help you. So really, really interested to see how that uh, dynamic goes into play, because is it is it about coaching the tight ends specifically? Yes. I mean, he certainly needs to be a good coach to those guys. But but there's a whole lot more going on here. And I was fascinated, Jordan, when you told me as you were reporting this story out before you even wrote it about that separation between the, the two sides. I never would have guessed that. I, I I honestly would have thought in in a modern league in modern football uh, where so much of that is tied together. Wow, why you know why and and it's that's not to say that coaches don't talk or that they don't uh, you know have meetings or whatever. But my goodness, why wouldn't you? Why why wouldn't you have all of those people uh, uh, working together? So real interested to see uh, how that plays out and just just great stuff Jordan in there I mean we didn't even touch about uh, you know Thomas Brown's journey as a person and and as a coach and and you know him even admitting to some scare uh, some you know being scared at times um mm-hmm. I don't know anything you want to before we kind of wrap it up here uh, you know these these coaches kind of become kind of they they come in and out so fast, right? Like people don't even get to know get to know them necessarily. I mean, did you learn anything about Thomas Brown or or you know what 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 should people know about him as a person that that you kind of uh, were particularly impressed by? Well, over the last three years, I've tried to since being here. Um, I tr- I've tried and I did the same thing in Carolina. I've tried to every off season feature a player who I think is next um, or a philosophy that I think is next um, or and excuse me, and a coach that who I think is next. And so a couple years ago, it was Brandon Staley. Last year, it was Raheem Morris. And then also the emergence of the McVay-Fangio system marriage 
and then this year it was Ernest Jones and Thomas Brown. And I think in both of those cases, because I also want to give Ernest his credit as well, in both of those cases, those interviews, those happened through the people themselves, through Ernest himself, through Thomas Brown himself versus or Thomas Brown and and this is something that I pitched to him right. by the way these you know and something I pitched to Ernest this is not I, they're not coming to me asking me to like I pitch right. this just so we're clear on that I right. pitch this to them and and see if they're open to letting me in and they were and not just letting me in but deeply personal conversation into their space me sitting with Ernest and and his agent Ira Turner um, at a coffee shop for a couple of hours, just talking about life. And that story becomes what it is because of that vulnerability that somebody's willing to share. And it was remarkable because he's 20, 21 years old. And to be so collected within himself and understands himself so well and knows who he wants to be and where he wants to go. And then on the other hand, too, I mean, Thomas Brown had no reason to invite me into his home, had no reason to agree to this story in general because his resume speaks for itself. But I'm telling you, like, I spent four hours over there, like, with him and Jessica talking about everything, everything. And so to have that kind of – and them – both as a, as a couple, they are remarkable people. And for them to be so open to me trying to peel back their layers and get inside their brains and, and their hearts and get inside them, essentially, through that process is such a remarkable gift. It's such a beautiful thing that can happen, but it takes such a trust fall on their part. Like, I don't even want people in my house, <laughs> like, you know, person <laughs> myself. And like, I'm asking other people to, right. to let me in on this level. And I think that I cannot express enough what a gift that is um, to have somebody be open, but that trust that's there because they don't know what ultimately will come out of that experience other than I leave and they've given it to me, essentially. And it's my choice or opportunity and my gift, I think, to be able to try to shape it in a way that I think fully represents them. And um, I say gift as in they've given it to me. And that's such a remarkable thing. And it's been so rare. And I just cannot say, and I'm getting like emotional right now, because that's not We've not had that for the last couple of years. Yeah. You know, I I remind like I started covering this team from Charlotte completely over Zoom. And yeah. we've been at an arm's length for so long because of natural causes, but also because we work really hard to try to figure out what a new world of um access and communication looks like, you know, now that we are navigating COVID and, you know, we're vaccinated and boosted. And and now that we're navigating this new world, we're learning about it. But it's, I cannot express what a gift that was. Um, and that's what I learned about, I think the most about Thomas is that for all his assuredness and confidence in who he is, he was wholly and completely open to, and same with Jalen, when I talk with Jalen, wholly and completely open. There's very special people who know who they are, but they are still wholly open to discovering more about themselves and wholly open to discovering 
not just who they are in that moment, but who they can become. And I think that is who Thomas Brown showed me that he is. That's who Ernest showed me who he is earlier this year. That's who Jalen showed me who he is. And I think that's just such a gift. Wow. Uh, it really is. And, and like, I, I'm, you know, I, I don't think people really understand what that's like for, for people like you to, uh, to have that. I mean, you, we, we talk to so many athletes, right? I mean, that's what we do is we spend our time asking them questions. Most of them very trivial, most of them very surface level about football. Um, and, and that relationship is not always good, quite frankly. I mean, it sometimes can be very acrimonious. So, when somebody trusts you enough to, to to let you in, not even both both physically and emotionally to to open the door to their home, yes, but, you know, but who the hell am I? Tell me, tell me everything about your feelings. Like, who the hell am I? Think about right. that. Like, yeah, I come and, and, in and I'm just like, oh, da, 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 you know, like, right. And there's know? a certain level. I mean, just just think yeah. of you know, no matter what job you're in, how would you feel? How would you feel if somebody you know knocked on your door and said, right. hey, tell me every you know intimate detail of your life? and your experiences. I mean, that's not most people, that's not their nature to to do that. And especially somebody who's been in a public eye for so right. long, you you get a little weary of that. Like, hey, how is my story going to be told? Is it going to be told exactly. accurately? Is it going to be told fairly? And I understand that. It, it, I certainly understand somebody like, especially Jalen in that situation going back. I mean, that shows a lot of trust in his part. He's somebody who's been written, talked about ad nauseum, who hasn't always been presented in the best light. Um, and you know, it, it, he would be fully excused if he said, I'm not, I'm not talking to anybody. I'm not opening myself up. Um, but yet he did. And, and the product ends up being something really remarkable because, uh, you know, somebody like you is entrusted to it and, and does a good job with it and validates that trust. And, and certainly Thomas Brown the same way. So, uh, kudos to, to you, Jordan. I mean, it's, I, I think personally, we should just call it the Jordan Rodrigue bump. It's not really, no. it's not really the Sean McVeigh. <laughs> bump it's no. you know no I'm, so I'm, someone I'm, says that there's a guy on twitter that like bl blames me for all the turnover <laughs> in a in a joking way of course in a joking way but no, uh, no but, it's, and kudos yeah. to them all yeah. of these guys for opening themselves up players and coaches and it's been as we are on the precipice of another camp i cannot say enough about what a gift it's been to be in this position um, not just yeah. because I love the fans so much um, and I don't have any updates about Odell Beckham other than <sighs> that they're very relaxed about a timeline because he is recovering from a serious injury. However, I have not wavered in my optimism that this does. Uh, this is something that can get done. That's my personal opinion right. that I'm pretty optimistic about these two um, coming back together. I think that it's just so perfect. What I want to say is as we're on the precipice of another training camp is it's just been such a gift getting to know this is a unique and extraordinary group of people. Yeah. Um, I think every building has elements of that. Um, I'm in this one, so I am able to see <laughs> um, how extraordinary this group is. Um, and I think that when they lean into that and they understand that about themselves, that's when their greatness happens. And so I think the difference between um, uh a hangover year and 
a another special year will be them continuing to understand who they are um, and also understanding who they're not and how far mm. those limits of who they are can be pushed and stretched as we saw last year. And I think they have um, the right people in place to do it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome stuff. Sappy, cor- sappy, corny moments over. You know, I had to get one in there. Yeah, had to get one in there. You know, I, I finally got some sleep, so I'm all up in my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Um, everybody needs to to go read that story if if they haven't already. Jordan's fired up. She's recharged. She's ready to go. She's ready to make that drive to Irvine <laughs> for training camp. Um, 10 days, 10 days. I report in 10 days. 10 so. days in Irvine, yeah. the, favorite, the documentary series that will come out of that. No, um, I mean, I'm saying I get there in 10 days. That's oh, it's the 22nd. You get there the, yeah. Uh, that's co- yeah. So, that's yeah, if people don't know, I mean, should definitely go down. I, I, I think the first uh, publicly available practice is the 29th, and, and the Rams always do a nice job of making uh, those practices uh, available. It's a fun time if you haven't been down there before. Great setup there at, at UC Irvine. Uh, great way to uh, to uh, see these players and some of the stuff that the Rams are doing. I'm sure it, say hi to Jordan, take pictures, yeah, I'll be get the, autographs. I'll be the one in the really dorky water fanny pack. Bust, right. Busting that guy out for another year. And oh, yeah. Great hats, probably, right? Stay hydrated. Well, actually, um, I had a coach come up to me. I was roasted into the ground by a coach last year who I asked know. me if I worked for the FBI uh, because <laughs> I had my aviators on and my hat, my hat was like one of those extra tall, um, right, right. like four foreheads. My forehead already right. has a lot of real estate, so <laughs> the brim didn't help. And he came up to me and was like, "So, when does your job with the FBI start?" And I was like, "Well, I can never wear a hat again, obviously." Oh so. man, it's always that's how they know that. That's how you know they like you, you know. Like when when you come up and and get chirped like that, like that's that's a that's a sign that you're being accepted. So that that's a good uh, that's that's a good thing. So, uh, yeah, everybody, come on down. We we will uh, of course keep doing these uh, podcasts leading up to the season. We're talking about. Uh, maybe a cool guest coming on in in the near future to uh, he to might even be listening with. right now. Yep, We're very maybe. excited. Mm, hello mm, from hello, afar. Potential guest from afar. Um, and uh, of course, start breaking down things, you know, uh, starting to look at some of these offensive de- defensive depth charts, uh, some of the battles that, that are going to be going on in training camp, people to watch. We have a lot to talk about. And of course, Jordan's going to be furiously typing uh, over the next couple of weeks to bring that content to you. There's already one out today about the the relationship uh, last couple of days anyway, about the relationship between uh, McVeigh and Stafford in year one and how that's developing all that to say, thank you subscribers. Appreciate you being along on our journey. And if you're not already a subscriber, boy, do we have good news for you. You can get on in on all of this all of our training camp coverage and you can do so by going to theathletic.com slash 11 personnel and you can get Jordan's favorite thing in the entire world, which is what a great discount. You yes. guys, every time you subscribe to the athletic through the 11 personnel podcast, you get my favorite thing in the world, which is 
a great discount. And also wanted to make sure you guys are um, among the, you know, the many who will ultimately enjoy this. But you guys got to stick around after the end of this episode to hear the first five minutes of The Athletic's new narrative series, Luck. Um, Our Colts writer, Zach Kiefer, brings us Andrew Luck's story like you have never heard it before. Um, Kiefer, he spoke with over two dozen people from Jim Ursay and Bill Polian to Frank Reich and Chuck Pagano, David Shaw, RG3, even had a coffee meeting with Andrew Luck um, wow. as well. And Andrew Luck never does um, any anything to sort of be in the public eye after his shocking retirement a couple of years back. Yeah. He peels back the curtain in a way that has never been done before on one of the most unique careers in NFL history. So you can get all six episodes of Luck on the Athletic Football sh- Show feed wherever you listen to podcasts. That is out right now, you guys. I listened to the first two episodes last night before I fell asleep sitting up on my couch like a loser. Um, and... It was it was incredible. I forgot so many things. Like you you remember if you're a football fan, you remember exactly where you were when that news broke. And then all of the details and then the psychology of it. I mean, Zach is already a tremendous reporter and writer, and you get to hear all of his effort in audio form. He does a fantastic job. It's so well narrated. Um, our audio team did an incredible job on this as well. And it just is fantastic. You guys have got to check this thing out. In the meantime, we will continue to be doing these podcasts. We will definitely have, I hope, uh, a special one in the next couple of weeks. Um, I mean, they're all special, though, aren't they, Rich? I think, you know, they're, oh, we all, yes. we've, we've got it covered. They're all special. But um, we're very excited with some of the things that um, we're planning to do this year. And in the meantime, you guys, make sure you are staying hydrated. Get a water fanny pack if you need one. Um, staying hydrated. Make sure you're taking care of each other and yourselves. And we'll catch you next time. Hello. It certainly isn't how I uh, envision this or plan this, uh, but but I am going to retire. Uh, this is not an easy decision. Uh, honestly, it's the hardest decision of my life. August twenty fourth, two thousand nineteen. Andrew Luck is wearing a Colts T-shirt and shorts. His left ankle is wrapped. He's awkwardly shuffling back and forth behind a podium on the bottom floor of Lucas Oil Stadium. Confirming the news that had rocked the sports world an hour earlier. He was done with football. For the last four years or so, I've been in this cycle of injury, pain, rehab, injury, injury, pain, rehab. Torn cartilage in his ribs, a lacerated kidney, an injury to his throwing shoulder that had knocked him out for an entire season. And in 2019, a calf and ankle injury that just wouldn't heal. Luck and his body were trapped in an unrelenting loop. It's, it's been tiring. I, I feel tired and not just in the physical sense. It didn't feel real then, and in a lot of ways it doesn't feel real now. That night I watched a 29-year-old franchise quarterback, the very player the Colts moved on from Peyton Manning for, give up the game he loves three weeks before his 30th birthday. Broken down, battered, his love of the game gone. Felt stuck in it, and the only way I see out uh, is, is to, to no longer play football. That night, I saw a man who'd been drowning for four years. It was confounding, but more than that, it was sad. It's taken my joy of this game away. Uh, and uh, this... Sorry. 
Luck never expected to retire like this, never wanted to retire like this in a late night impromptu press conference. But an hour earlier, while the Colts were playing a home preseason game, with Luck standing on the sidelines, ESPN's Adam Schefter broke the news that Luck was done with football. You see Andrew Luck on the sidelines. There is a report that has been filed by Adam Schefter of ESPN that Andrew has informed the team of his desire to retire from the National Football League. The shocking news worked its way through the stands, creating an unreal scene inside Lucas Oil Stadium. Colts fans booing Andrew Luck, the franchise's biggest star. Yeah, I'd be lying if I didn't say I heard the reaction. Yeah, it hurt. I'll be honest, Chap. It hurt. He was once labeled the greatest quarterback prospect since John Elway. And in the early part of his career, Andrew Luck more than lived up to all the hype. There was just this joy to his game. He flung it all over the field. He screamed like a six-year-old. He ran straight into linebackers and then would help them up off the ground afterwards. He told defensive ends great hit after they'd driven him into the turf. He led seven fourth-quarter comebacks as a rookie. He won playoff games. This is a guy who, in his retirement press conference that night, literally thanked the game of football. And I guess in a philosophical sense, I want to thank football for so many wonderful moments in my life and the pressure, circumstances, environment that pushed me to grow, learn, change in so many meaningful ways. It's the greatest team sport in the world. Sitting there, listening to Luck try to explain something that was both completely unbelievable and at the same time completely understandable, I kept asking myself one question. How in the world did we get to this point? And after 2016, where I played in pain and was unable to regularly practice, I made a vow to myself that I would not go down that path again. Come to the proverbial fork in the road. Uh, and and I, I made a vow to myself that if I ever did again, I would choose, choose me in a sense. I woke up the next morning and the first thought in my head was, did that really happen? And over the years that have followed, there have been times watching the Colts shuffle from one quarterback to another that I'll find myself asking the very same thing. And I know, I know the Colts' top decision makers, owner Jim Irsay, general manager Chris Ballard, head coach Frank Reich, have done the very same. How does one of the greatest quarterback prospects ever end up walking away from the game before he turned 30 years old? Over the course of the last five months, we've asked everyone, from Bruce Arians to Tony Dungy, from David Shaw to RG3, from Chuck Pagano to Peter King, Tom House, Chris Ballard, and dozens more. That is the question this podcast will try to answer. I'm Zach Kiefer from The Athletic. Welcome to Luck. <laughs> 